Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hi there, and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this is a second one in our how-to series, the practical solo sessions, where I'm going over some topics that people have requested or found interesting, or perhaps I've covered them previously, and it was either a long time ago, or there were lots of follow-up questions, there was quite a lot of complexity in it. So I'm stripping the subjects back to make it hopefully more how-to, basically bullet points uh, that you can follow. Quite often there's a blog that will follow on for these or would link to this content. So I'll also in the show notes, if I refer to a previous podcast episode um, or a blog, then you can go and look it up if you want more information on that particular topic. So this week we're going to talk about how you can deliver 360 degree feedback. Now I appreciate that this is possibly quite a specialist subject, But I found that the episode that I did, which was all about 360 feedback from designing the questions to managing a program uh, to delivering feedback had huge amounts of information in it. I've also done uh, webinars on this topic and increasingly, possibly because we have now got an Actus 360 Now product, we're working with more and more people who are delivering or using 360 as a tool. And... Uh, They want to keep the costs down in an organisation, which I totally understand. And the main part about 360 feedback is you want to make sure that people have a valuable developmental experience from the 360 feedback. In my opinion, that's what it should always be used for. I won't go into the whys and wherefores because that is on the previous episode. What I want to do is focus this on is if you are somebody who you would like to deliver the 360 feedback in your organisation, but you perhaps don't feel hugely confident about how to approach it, you're worried that people might ask you questions that you don't know the answer to, and you just want a little bit more confidence as to how to do it. Obviously, I would recommend you have some training or coaching and and there's a bit of a background which would benefit you. But this uh, podcast is designed to give you some practical pointers that you can do. And if you already do have a a good background in coaching, then you could probably just follow these pointers and get on and do it yourself. So you're in a position where your organisation has invested in 360 degree feedback and you have got people in your organisation who need to have the feedback delivered to them. You might alternatively be an independent HR professional who wants to deliver 360 degree feedback as a service. And actually the report itself is only one portion of the cost. The main value you can get is actually from using your time to guide people through it. It's really 
It's one of the most useful ways of building relationships. So when I was internals and HR professional, I and my team would run internal 360. And generally it would be the managers or the more senior people in the organisation who would be having 360 degree feedback, largely because it's a very personalised type of uh, development. And so therefore it's often when people are more junior in an organisation, they benefit from standard training programmes. And as you become more into bigger roles or different roles, then it's helpful to have feedback about how you conduct yourself and your skills against the roles, uh, the requirements of those roles. So I would encourage you to build the confidence to be able to deliver that 360 feedback, you know, and and develop that as part of your uh, toolkit. Uh, Maybe if you don't have the time, then obviously outsource it, but you can do that. And it's a great way to build strong relationships. So how do you do that? You've got the report. What I would normally do, it does depend. I, I would occasionally look through the report in advance and probably that is wise to do if you're not really experienced in delivering 360 feedback. And the reason I would look through the report in advance is just to get a sense of whether there's anything contentious within the report. And generally, a 360 report will have what you call as a spider graph, which will show you the relative scores between how the individual has rated themselves and the other respondents. And if you know that the individual has rated themselves significantly differently, particularly if they've done might rated themselves more highly than the other respondents, then you might want to think about how you set this up and manage expectations. Now, having said that, I still set every single feedback up in exactly the same way, and I'll tell you how I do that now. So I would always go through these five elements. Um, I would essentially I would position myself, my role, confidentiality, and I'll explain why these are important. I'll, let me explain these first. I'd ask how they're feeling about the feedback. I'd ask how they selected their respondents. I would then manage expectations uh, in terms of high and low scores, and I would also position feedback and bias. So those are the five things that I would always go through before I start the overall um, conversation. So right at the start, I would say, you know, particularly important this is if you are internal delivering something and they see you as the HR person looking to help them out or catch them out. uh, I'd say, first of all, start by positioning yourself that whatever your role day to day, your role in this situation is a coach and feedback giver. Um, if you're external, it might be more easy to do that. Or the same if you're in learning and development, you're more often seen as neutral. But sometimes people feel a bit nervous talking to HR. So positioning your role and saying that you are coach for the purpose of this feedback, the purpose of your role is to help people to get the most out of the feedback and to see it as a development opportunity. And anything you discuss within that environment will be confidential. You might recommend that they go and take the feedback back to others, but Sorry, if you can hear snoring in the background, that's my cat. Um, So if you can reassure people that it's confidential and they might take feedback back to others. But you're not going to be taking it off or reporting. This isn't going to, unless unless the purpose of the feedback is to feed into some sort of career plan, nothing's going to happen without this person's knowledge or consent. So really important to build trust right at the start of the relationship, positioning your role and the confidentiality. Now, the second point I'd say is ask how they feel about feedback. I'd also say, have you had 360 feedback before to find out whether it's something that they 
um, have experienced, in which case they might be quite relaxed about it, or they might be really nervous. And this is quite important as well. These five points that I'm talking about, don't draw them out too much because you're potentially building up the tension for people. But just say, how are you feeling about this? Have you done it before? Um, you know, so if they've done it before, great. So you know what to expect, they may or may not. If they say they're a bit apprehensive, that's completely normal. Uh, one of the things that I teach when I do the management training programs is that whenever you say to somebody, I'm going to give you some feedback, it actually triggers our fight or flight response. So it's quite natural for people to feel anxious when they're offered feedback. So just a little bit of empathy, say it's perfectly fine. And then my third point is, how did you select your respondents? This is key insight because if they have, you know, usually it would say direct reports, you'd hope that they have selected all of them. Uh, in, if in terms of peers and colleagues, have they, it's basically you want to find out, have they selected people in order to almost build in bias? So have they avoided the difficult people? Have they only handpicked some members of their team? Uh, or ask their mates to complete it, or vice versa, ask for people who are more challenging. And depending on the answer to that as to how they selected them, you'll have a sense of whether or not you, how challenging or otherwise you need to be. So for example, if you think that they have uh, selected their mates, then when later on, if you feel like it's a bit of an echo chamber in the feedback, you might want to challenge it, be a little bit more challenging in the feedback. Alternatively, if they've really gone out of their way to challenge themselves, you might want to be quite supportive as to if they do get some tough feedback, it might say, well, you know, great, this is really brave of you to get that feedback um, and to ask those tricky people. And it actually, uh, by being brave, that's going to build stronger relationship with these people. So that just gives you context about how you're going to adapt your style during the feedback session. So we've asked how they, we've positioned our role, we've asked how they're feeling, and then we've understood how they've selected their respondents to find out what they're trying to get out of this or if they're trying to um, manage the feedback in some way. I then go on to um, sort of managing the expectations in terms of how feedback comes through really. Um, and these two points, this and bias kind of link together. So uh, if I know, for example, that there's a really different score or something that, that, that maybe I've looked in advance and I see that the manager has marked lower than the individual, then I might even ask some questions about the relationship with certain characters. I remember having a really difficult, well, what I thought was quite a difficult 360, but because I set up in advance, it was actually much easier because I actually, before I opened the report, said, so tell me about your respondents, your relationship with them, you know, your manager, for example, and was able to find out that this person either had a very difficult relationship with them or had only just inherited them. Um, there was some issue with them. So you could almost see that, that there was going to be a possible awareness that there could be some challenge. So you could say, okay, so you might expect to have a difference of opinion or that manager doesn't know you so well yet. So you can manage some expectations up front if you know the context. Clearly, it's still gonna be disappointing if they aren't aware of, of, of an issue with somebody. But then there's also the piece where I would say, in terms of managing expectations slash positioning feedback and bias, I always explain that all feedback is helpful, but ultimately it reflects the perception of others rather than reality. So you know, I, I, I would always say that feedback should be respected and valued, but ultimately it's down to the individual to decide whether it's helpful or not. 
Um, you know, it's a bit like if you're given a gift, you should always respect and, and be grateful for it. But some gifts you're going to love and use over and over again, and some you're going to shove in a present drawer or give to charity. Okay, so it's still your choice as to whether or not you take that feedback to heart, but you should value the reception of it in the first place. The other thing I do is explain that there's always a level of bias in feedback. And just like our teachers at school, some people are naturally very high markers, some are very low markers. And there's also a recency slash primacy effect, which basically means that if you've had an argument with somebody in the last few days and they've just before they fill out your feedback, the likelihood is they're going to be tougher on the feedback than they would have done uh, when you've just been out and had a great social and feeling really positive about each other. So people are biased in terms of how they respond. Setting those things up in advance means that if you have something niggly later, you can come back to it. So uh, those are quite helpful in terms of just having that positioning in place. Then, then if there is something in the report, and actually 90% of the time there isn't, you have set that up in advance. There's one other thing in terms of uh, awareness, which is useful to share just in advance, which links into this area, which is pointing out that usually it's the individual and the manager, their own scores, their absolute scores are visible. Whereas other groups like direct reports and peers or colleagues, they tend to be grouped together, so more anonymized. So that means their scores will average out. Whereas a manager, if your manager happens to be very critical, the scores are gonna look more just stronger uh, and maybe a bit harder hitting. So pointing out the fact that they are more absolute and therefore more visible. So having set the scene, I briefly outline the report or the feedback process. So however your report is structured, ours are structured with uh, spider graphs and then you have summary graphs, then you have each individual question, comments, and then at the end, there's a kind of amalgamation and you can look at strengths and development areas. So I set the expectation and I used to do this face to face, I now do this remotely most of the time. So I would then put it up on the screen and I would share screen and go through it at a, a reasonable pace. I'd explain that I'm gonna go through at a reasonable pace to give them the overview. And then we will stop and review different areas as we go through and then summarize at the end. So take an example, we'd start with the spider graph and I would ask them if there are gaps, if it's all very even, I say, okay, it's all very even. Um, anything you want to comment on there? It's not telling you anything particularly new there. If there are certain gaps in there, I might say, okay, I noticed that you've been pretty tough on yourself in that area. What's the reason, what's the thinking behind there? Or you appear to be quite tough if, if they are underrating. Now, I think that's quite often lots of people underrate because then that takes away the fear of someone rating them worse than they rate themselves. It's quite a natural um, protection mechanism. If you've got it the other way around, that's where, it, as in, they have rated themselves more highly than others. That's where that previous aspect of managing expectations might be useful. So I might say, okay, so you actually said you, you, you know, your manager's quite new. So um, perhaps they haven't had chance to see you in certain areas. How, you know, have they had chance to see you demonstrate strategic thinking, for example, um, or what, what sort of things have they seen you do? Um, or, you know, they've, if in terms of their your direct reports. Okay, I noticed that your direct reports, there's a gap here in these. What are your thoughts as to why that might be? And very often they can come up with reasons why. They say, okay, I can see that they've marked me higher or lower. That might be because, do you know, I've been, they've marked me lower and that's because I've been so busy, tied up, 
problem solving, firefighting, I haven't had chance to speak with them. I haven't done a one-to-one in months. You say, okay, so that would explain, you, you know, it's, it's reasonable that you're likely to get this feedback and perhaps we'll see that come through in the comments. So once you've discussed the spider graph, you then might go on, you'll probably see the same sort of themes in a graph version. You then start moving into the individual questions and this is where you're more likely to see variation in response. So what I would generally do is I'd say I'm going to go through to reasonable pace unless we see key differences or gaps and perhaps we'll stop and discuss some of those. So if we see a question where there is a particular gap and it might be this person um, listens carefully to others or whatever it might be and there's a gap between their perception and someone else's, whether it's higher or lower, then I would say, okay, I notice there's a little bit of a gap there. What are your thoughts as to why that might be? They'll come up with a response to that. And you know, maybe they'll go. I've n- maybe they'll go. I've no idea. I can't believe they think that. Clearly, I've not got such a good relationship with them as I thought I did. And say, okay, so what is it that they've seen you do that might have made them respond like that? And then they might say, well, I suppose come to think of it, people who know me well, I am pretty direct, and I guess I don't suffer fools gladly. So maybe that's why they've marked me down in terms of the things. And I say, yeah. So they're not marking you down. Remember, this is just an absolute score, but. They've kind of said you go back to the definitions of the scoring. So maybe you've marked yourself as regularly listening and they've said occasionally. So it's just a slight difference in perception. Now, I'm not going into design of questionnaires here, but this is where it's helpful if you do have free text comments because it usually brings through some extra understanding. So usually I say something like, let's go and look what the comments say and see whether that brings things to light. Hopefully there will be comments where people have done that. And generally, in organisations that have reasonable levels of trust, there will be comments. They're anonymised, but you'll have some comments which will help see what's going on. In organisations with less high trust, then people don't always write so much. So you get to the comments and you see that actually there is a comment that Fred Blogs is quite direct in meetings and sometimes upsets people or it sometimes makes them seem like they're not listening. Yeah, okay, so you pretty much know what it was about and that's what they're thinking about. And then they'll do a knowing smile and they go, yeah, fair enough, they're comfortable. So it's quite important to push that person to get them to think, well, what might it be that that's made them think that? Now, if you'd coached them at the point of the gap and they couldn't come up with a reason why someone might have given them feedback, maybe the comments tell you what it is and you say, okay, so does that make sense? Can you think of an example where you might have demonstrated that. They certainly seem to perceive that you don't listen regularly in meetings or whatever the question was. And hopefully they feel more comfortable and go, actually, I can see why that is. Now, that's the point at which I might say, well, let's see if this is a theme or not. Remember, you can choose which feedback you take on or otherwise. Um, It's your choice as to whether you see it as something that's relevant or a development area for you. You're very much the advocate for the feedback receiver in this context. It's about helping them to have a a safe feedback experience. So to get learning, but without it being damaging. So it's always about getting that balance in terms of light challenge um, or just supporting them. And so you can agree to look for those themes as you go through it further. Notice that I'm not the expert because I'm not the person. I don't have the relationship with the others. So if you are someone who's fearful of not knowing what the answer is, you you don't need to be because all this is about is about guiding somebody through a a form which has feedback and asking questions that prompt them to think as to why that feedback has been given. 
Now, if you're quite experienced, you may find that there are themes and you could make recommendations. And I'll come on to maybe an example of that in a moment. But the reality is it's really about supporting them through it and asking questions for them to reflect on why it is. If you find the situation where there was a discrepancy and they say, well, I can see that, uh, you know, at that one meeting I was rude and I think it's a bit harsh that they've rated me down for that, then I would always recommend that they actually respond to their feedback givers or go and actually, if it's their manager, say, well, sit down and go and talk to them afterwards. Particularly, I recommend this, which is really common if the manager sees someone as being, their manager appears to be more critical than the direct reports. So direct reports might be singing the manager's praises, but the manager is really more critical. And so it's quite useful to to encourage the individual having got their feedback to then sit down with their line manager and for the line manager to realise that maybe their perception isn't 100% correct either. So that can be really powerful and I would always encourage people to share it with their line managers. Other nuances you might find is if something's very, very average, if you like, very, there's no real ups and downs. Um, in some feedback forms, including ours, you have um, a, a bar which shows the variation of responses, so the range of responses. So of the amalgamated responses, it will show um, whether everybody was marking four and fives or whether they were marking from two to fives. So that's an interesting one where you can actually say, okay, so it looks like there's a real range of responses. Would you say your relationship with people within your team varies? Do you have stronger relationships with some than others? You don't want them to be starting to um, hunt out certain people who said certain things because that becomes more of a witch hunt type issue. That's that's the absolute last thing you want people to do. Uh, I do remember a sales director storming down a sales corridor once saying, who said that I was flighty or something like that? Scared everybody to never say anything again in their 360. It took a long time to rebuild trust. So you definitely don't want them to do that, but getting them to reflect on how their relationship might vary if you have got a large range. So let's say someone's new in their team or one person they've just had to performance manage, they might have a different relationship. So someone is going, or someone's particularly cynical or negative, well, they are going to have marked negatively. And you might say, so that is interesting because that's probably brought your overall average down. And it suggests that the rest of the team are really happy for you to actually have been rated blah, four out of five or whatever it is. The same might be the case with peers or others. You know, you might have asked other people that you know you've got a difficult relationship with and some that you have a great relationship with. When that happens, you'll see a large range of responses and that means that uh, the absolute score is going to be sort of more vanilla, more middling, because people have, have varied. The key really is for the individual to think, all right, am I comfortable with the fact that some of these relationships are would rate me more highly or low than others. What can I do about uh, being seen in a different way by those who mark me down, potentially? It's up to them. How much does it matter? How much do you value, again, when you ask about who they ask to respond, how much do you value the views of your respondents? Quite a key one to have understood. So that's why you wanted to know from the start who had responded, why they chosen their, to get their feedback. In terms of comments, usually comments are really helpful. The, the other point I'd make here is just go through at a reasonable pace. And what I'd do is I'd go through the scores, I'd ask questions about the gaps. And then when it comes to the written comments, which is usually maybe in each section, I'd stop and let the individual read them. And if you're doing it virtually, you can see them on the screen as to where their eyes are, as to how they've read them. And you can also watch how they're reacting to it. So you can see if they're smiling 
or you can see if they look a bit awkward or uncomfortable. And whatever behaviour or whatever um, tells, if you like, you see on their facial expression, so I would always want to do this with cameras on, you can ask, you know, how do you feel about that? Especially if they look happy, say, how do you feel about that? And they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm really chuffed. I'm really quite surprised that they've been so nice. So it's important to get them to express those positive emotions if they've had that. Or how do you feel about that? Um, you know, say, oh, I'm really puzzled as to why that is. And so that's really important if they've had that emotion. That you say, okay, so what do you think the reasons could be? When was the last time you saw them? Why do you think they might view you that way? You need to help them process um, a piece of feedback. If they think that it's unfair or negative, you need to help them process it and to put it in context and make sure that they don't... You want them to process um, any slight upset or negativity with you so that they don't walk away um, and worry about it later or feel negative about it later. And that's really why it's so, so, so important to do Coach 360, because it's human nature to dwell on negatives and almost take things out of context. So you need to work with somebody, if they've taken something a bit negatively, help them work out why someone might have said that and why it's either legitimate or not legitimate, um, what the reason might be, and help them process that feedback. Quite often you might see it as something trying to think of an example but you might have seen a theme that people are sort of saying through there and this person may not be aware of that and you might be able to say perhaps there's a pattern here of people where you told me earlier on that we've just been through a really sort of busy stressful time and you are someone who likes to be a technical expert so people have been coming to you for advice and guidance and because you're in a hurry you will give them the advice but you don't necessarily have time to coach them how to do it themselves. So in that situation, people are going to see you as not really being someone who asks open questions or listens. You're helpful, you're giving them the answers, but you're not really developing them. Uh, so I, it, we can take the heat out of something like that. So someone might be criticising that individual for not listening, for not coaching, but you can help them see, if you, you've told me that you behave in this certain way and this is why, can you see that therefore a younger or more junior member of staff might see that as intimidating. They may be too scared to ask questions or they may not feel that they know how to do it themselves, which means that the knock-on is that you're going to carry on being busier and have even less time to manage. So you can, in a sort of objective way, reflect back what a situation which you're kind of seeing as an outsider is probably what's going on, might happen, which may result in someone giving feedback that they don't listen or they don't coach or whatever it might be. So where you see patterns, you can reflect that back and say, okay, first of all, get them to think about why do you think that might be? But then say, well, sometimes I've seen it this way. You, It could be this. So you're suggesting, so you're using sometimes, occasionally. You don't know, so it's only a suggestion. So you need to use quite maybe could it be because of this and that's actually maybe too direct I would use the usually use it in the third party the way I was saying where you know occasionally I've seen scenarios like this where people have interpreted it a certain way so this is very by, by using that third party it's really non-emotional um, and it takes emotion out of it and it's non-personal and it's easier for the person to think oh I could see how that might be the case and to maybe choose to identify with it as opposed to me suggesting an answer, could it be that you are like this, which is very personal? And they may think that's fine, 
if you've got the relationship that built the trust, but actually maybe using more of a, a third party neutral approach is better for people to take it on. So you go through the report and those are just various examples of scenarios you might find. But the point is just really focus on that person getting the most value out of it and having a positive feedback experience and ask questions that occur to you. Follow your intuition, listen to what they're saying and notice their nonverbal facial cues. Um, It could be body language if you're face to face, but certainly facial cues on there and ask natural questions alongside it. What are you thinking or how do you feel about that? So good open coaching questions. Once you get towards the end, don't try not to dwell on stuff too long. I would generally keep a 360 feedback session to under an hour. I think about 45 minutes to an hour is, is about maximum. Then what you want to do is go towards the end and uh, then talk about what, what are your development plan. It may go on longer if you're going to go into development plan and agree smart development objectives. That's where you might spend more time at the end. If you're just delivering the feedback and helping them draw some broad conclusions, then I would want to say something like, what are you particularly pleased about? Um, you know, what development areas, what might you want to do differently? How are you going to do it differently? What are you going to take away from this? So just draw that. And, and again, depending on whether your role is to help them be very specific about those objectives or more general, depends on how long you spend at the end coaching to conclusions. And then very finally, I recommend encouraging that person to go back and say thank you. They don't need to share their report. I do encourage them to sit down with the line manager, as I said earlier, but I would encourage them also to go back and um, I do maybe email people who have responded and just say thank you very much for taking the time to give me some feedback. I found it really valuable. Uh, I'm going to work on these points um, and I appreciate you making the effort. The reason I recommend that, particularly in an organisation, is that it builds trust in the process that it's happened. It does take people time to respond to feedback. And if they give good quality comments, that makes such a difference. But they tend to only do that if they trust the process or like the person or don't like the person. Um, And lots of people won't make the time. So it just creates a good positive culture around providing quality feedback to people. So encouraging people to go and say thank you in a fairly generic way is something useful, I think, culturally to support the process. So hopefully that made sense. Just a quick check back on that. I talked about the five things that I do at the start, positioning my role and confidentiality, ask how they're feeling, understand how they selected their respondents to know whether to be more challenging or more gentle as to whether you expect it to be tough or easy. Uh, Manage expectations if you've seen that it's going to be particularly tough from a certain person. Uh, Talk about feedback and bias, so high and low raters, uh, people being identified as individuals will make a difference there. Then in terms of the actual feedback itself, just be trust yourself, take an interest in the person, focus entirely on the person and ask what comes naturally. Ask open questions, ask how they're feeling, look for verbal and non-verbal cues and be constructive and don't think you have to know the answer. If they say, what do you think, which is really rare in 360, I would be inclined to go back and say, well, say it's hard for me to say because I don't know the people and you're the one with the relationship. If you do have a view and they ask that question because you've seen the same message coming through a variety of comments or you believe you have, you perceive that you have, then you might say, well, and give an example um, in a third party example. Sometimes in these situations where somebody is 
extremely busy or has a large team or whatever it might be, uh, you can find that people consider them to be blah, blah, blah. Could this be the case? What do you think? And flip it back to them. And then summarise and close. Really focus on not just things they need to do better, but things that are existing strengths to make those even stronger or utilise them more and uh, feed into a development plan and suggest that they go and give some feedback back to others, uh, saying thank you very much for taking the time to deliver 360. So that's my more detailed version of how you might do 360 feedback session. If you want to have uh, more information on that, I've done a blog on this. We've got a complete ebook, the complete guide to 360 degree feedback that you can download. Links will be on hruprising.com. We've got other episodes on this. If you want to do 360 feedback, take a look at our Actors 360 Now product. It's really, really straightforward, really cost effective um, and easy to use. Comes with ready to go templates. And uh, yeah, and also we do training. If you, if you still feel that you'd like a bit of hands-on training, uh, we run training sessions as well on this. So I hope you found that useful. Thanks for listening. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.